0: Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore.
1: I'm Fable, Beth Stedman.
0: I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson.
1: And this is a podcast for writers who love to read,
0: readers who love to write,
1: and anyone who loves words. All right, so today (laughs) we are talking about symbolism and archetypes. Kind of playing off of some of our recent conversations about myths and fairy tales, we thought it would be interesting to kind of just touch on working symbolism into your writing and books that we love that include symbolism, as well as kind of those overarching, overarching
0: archetypes. (laughs) I love it.
1: I'm not sure I do, but yeah. There's probably a better way to say that. Anyway, we we thought it would be just fun to kind of hit generally and broadly on on this idea of using those things in your writing and, and noticing them in your reading too.
0: Absolutely. And it's interesting how um, lots of people with symbolism will, you know, break it into different categories. Um, The one I liked was, you know, there's basically five categories of symbolism, um, metaphor, basically having something stand in for something else, simile being like, that's this, you know, direct Uh comparisons, allegory, having kind of a bigger metaphor of how basically something in its huge context reflects something else Mm. an archetype which you know it's basically a setting or a stock character something like that that's very just typical um you see it a lot and it kind of you know it's a almost a prerequisite of certain types of stories and then kind of myth just in general so myth standing in for symbolism but you know, I kind of was like, okay, that's great. <laughs> Let's <laughs> just like put that to the side. And and then I was thinking about it because I was watching and listening to Amy Tan's masterclass. Yeah. And I know you were a part of that too. And she was actually talking about basically metaphor where she was reading something at, at the time in which Britney Spears was really huge and where the the main character's name in this story was Britney and she mentioned how the name then in the story regardless exactly regardless yeah. of context almost had this connected cultural baggage associated with the time in which it was done and the time in which mm-hmm. it came out mm-hmm. and that just sparked something within me that i'm like there is both contextual symbol- symbolism so basically what you mean to put in to your work what you actually purposefully build but then there's that outside context that's based on yeah going on out there and which you kind of have to be a little bit aware of yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and aware of how how someone else who doesn't see the story where you do you see it new and fresh and exactly as you do and you choose your character names for reasons it's not just you know, haphazard, but if you don't pay attention to the broader implications that someone completely unconnected with your story would bring, you may be actually fighting like an uphill battle against what they already, like their preconceived notions are about a name or a setting or a place. And it's, it's not that you can't do that. And sometimes it might be fun to totally subvert that. Sure. But you have to do it knowingly.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Or at least as knowingly as you can. Like, obviously, Absolutely. you can't cater to every reader out there. You know, like, there's going to be someone who has some connotation based on
0: something Absolutely. in your story, you know, <laughs> that you didn't
1: can't foresee. But there are ways that you can look at kind of broadly how exactly. might a large group of people view this name or how might a large group of people think about this setting and how can I work with that or how might that work against me or those sorts of things. And being aware too that in various cultures, different, even random items are going to have kind of connotations that go with them, different fruits or different, I don't, you know,
0: like all kinds of hand gestures even. Yeah. And that's what's so fascinating about the world is it is so diverse, but having that connection to what might be offensive or what might carry those flavors that you didn't intend
1: and I I think that's a good place to keep in mind like who your ideal reader is who your general audience is as well as like what's the culture and setting of the book that you're you're telling like if you're telling a story set in a culture where I don't know like um I can't think of something right now, but where a particular hand gesture means something offensive or where a color is maybe offensive even, or only used in a certain setting or something like that. And you use it all over the place. Like you you should be aware of those things. (laughs) um.
0: Well, exactly. And I I think that that's great from a color standpoint is sometimes like purple could be reserved for royalty or sometimes red could be seen as, you know, potentially, um, offensive or being okay. worn at certain occasions or in certain cultures weddings are actually everyone wears white and uh-huh. knowing those elements and even knowing them enough so that you could play with them to actually show something if sure,
1: using them if to your you, advantage rather than against you exactly so
0: as long as you have knowledge of what it is you can then use it in such a way i i think it's yeah. it's also paying attention to more broader kind of what do colors tend to mean psychologically and sure. and making those um kind of just doing that effort behind it of of yeah. thinking okay what could this mean to someone else or even looking at you know what ones are actually overused potentially like red roses and, you know, things like that, that maybe it's necessary for what you're doing, but maybe something else, something a little more off the beaten path would make sense. Maybe trying out, you know, going for a flower that has a certain symbolism or that has, you know, that's innate in the flower itself. Have you ever seen those dictionaries that like give the flowers, you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still love those. Every flower in my bouquet I
0: handpicked for certain meanings. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and that meaning, that's using it in a way that it already carries that meaning. So you kind of get a little bit of free meaning out of it by taking it and already having that meaning assigned yeah. in theory. And then putting it in, not everyone will get all that symbolism that you put in. Um, I think we've talked about name meanings as well, which I tend to Mm -hmm. like to look up the meanings of names and just make sure they either that they mean something or at least they don't clash with what I'm trying to create. Yeah, yeah, because if it's like completely the opposite (laughs) of what I'm trying to be, like eh, maybe I can find a better choice. Yeah. But actually means closer to what it is I'm trying to to say.
1: I feel like symbols and archetypes are both um, in the same way that fairy tales we talked about last week. Like they feel like tools that the writer should have in their handbag. You know, like yes. like they are things that yeah. you can use to add depth and layer or things you can use even when you're stuck. You know, like like you can use an archetype character to help. I, I don't know. Like sometimes Absolutely. If you're just like, I don't know how to get this how to do this. Or, you know, like you don't have to come up with everything from scratch. And I think that the symbolism and archetypes are are helpful in that too, that they help us give us ideas. They spark those kind of, um, get those creative juices going when you can kind of take something that's already been done and then twist it and make it a little unique for for you and your setting and your story, but still not shy away from using it. And and I think when we do that, it also like is helpful as a reader. I love like the same way that I love tropes, you know, like yeah. when, when done well, like a trope or yes. an archetype character or some or a symbol, even what ones that are overused, when they're done well and they're still kind of tweaked in a way that gives them just that little bit of a unique spin, yes, it can be great because they're comforting for a reader, like as a reader, and I can go in and be like, oh, okay. I know who this character is, yes. <laughs> that's what this is about. You know, like it just clues the reader into like, this is what you can expect from this story. And that's not always a bad thing. Like as much as Absolutely. we want to produce tension and surprise our readers and get them saying like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen next and turning pages. Like you also want to give the reader a little bit of a like, oh, this is a safe space. I understand this world. I understand what's happening here. And sometimes the fastest, easiest way to do that is through a setting that they already know, a character that feels familiar, a symbol that lets them know like, oh, this is what this is about. You know, like those kinds of things can really, I think they can be helpful.
0: I think so too. And and it is almost a shorthand as well, I think, that it benefits you because you don't have to explain a ton of things on the page and waste you know, valuable <laughs> space and even valuable reader attention. Yeah. Setting up all those things. Like, you say that it's a forest, right. and we but get that it's that a mean. forest. Like, you know, I mean, you might want to have an establishing shot, it, sure. but it doesn't need all of the details. We get yeah. it. We know what forest looks like. Like, <laughs> and I think, I think, like, balancing that, using the sort, shorthand for what it's worth. Well, also having, we've talked about how, even just getting one little thing of detail that's like sets you in the world that establishes it as separate, yeah. something that just you know if it's a specific kind of tree there or if it's
1: sure.
0: whatever it is that just this is this unique forest, that's all you have to do, and then it's like the the reader's imagination takes over from yeah. in there, yeah. and that is it's so from a meaning standpoint, you then get all of the context of anything that they've interacted with, with Forrest. They can then fill in all of that, like almost like they're rendering a picture for you. Right. And that's one fascinating, interesting. It keeps the reader engaged because they're doing the work of the imagination that fills yeah. in the details of that setting, whatever it is.
1: I think like symbolism is interesting, too, because while it, it feels on one side like a shorthand, it also feels on the other side like a way of flushing something out. Does mm, that make sense? Yeah. Like it, it can be used as that quick shorthand, but it can also be used, I mean, particularly when you get into talking about like metaphors or similes, like Absolutely. as a way of filling out a picture and making something feel more rich, more connected, more unique even, um, and giving the reader a real sense of place and environment and purpose or I you know like all yeah. those kinds of things within a story I think. Does
0: that make sense? Well, yeah, absolutely. And the repetition of yeah. especially metaphor because I I love I love a good metaphor. <laughs> and I love a good metaphor that takes on new meaning over time. Mm. Do you mind if I actually use an example? Yeah. Um so Aaron and I recently re rewatched The Great Gatsby, the film oh. of the book. And what was fascinating, and I love when adaptations do this, they brought out this metaphor that's in the text, um, which is the green light that's mm-hmm. across the bay. Mm-hmm. It's at the end of the dock, um, right by Daisy Buchanan's mansion. And he goes out onto his dock, which is directly across, and stares at that green light. And sometimes it's shadowed. Mm-hmm. You know, shadowed by the fog. Sometimes it's there and it's just out of reach. And there's this part where he's standing there and his arms are open, like he's grasping for this thing that's so close, but still just there. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because that's after that moment, that's before he re meets Daisy and he still believes in his dream of them basically being able to race that time and going mm-hmm. back to where they once were ignoring everything else that's happened but there's another point when the light comes back and he the person who's doing the narration basically sees that the light has completely lost all of its magnetism it's just a light he's no longer like grasping for it but he also doesn't realize that daisy is right beside him so it's like the dream has completely died the symbol has like you know fallen decayed into dust it's like the dream that was once there is no longer that shining beacon yeah and I think being able to look at symbolism from that perspective of saying that it can mean different things at different times and yeah and by using it to do that you can add so much depth for sure. And without coming out and saying the reality of what's happening between the two characters, you get it just by how he's looking at that light. Yeah. And one, that's a great, like, show don't tell. (laughs) Um, And and it's also the show don't tell from the, let your reader work for their meal. Let them figure out what it is you're trying to say. And even if they don't all get it on you Know the first reading, even if there's yeah. some symbols there that never really land as you hope that they would, they're little nuggets that people can over time in, in rereadings kind of pick up grasp yeah. what's being said. Yeah, and even if they didn't catch on the first couple times that it's brought in, um, a, a good example that I have so in Caraval, mm-hmm. um, there are many mentions, well, a good few mentions of gloves, and it's it's actually almost kind of setting in context certain things about the society when they're first mentioned. So you almost don't get the reality and the importance behind them. But at the very end of finale, there's a reference about gloves that just lands. And all of a sudden, like all that meaning that had been built up, I'm like, oh my goodness, you get like <laughs> that epiphany of what all of that. Really meant or like yeah. yes why why she had done the work why she had included those parts in there because it gave this significant moment oomph and yeah. meaning behind it and you got all of the cultural significance which I love when something pays off like yeah that. that's a great example
1: too uh, yeah I think both of those are great examples of like using symbolism and imagery and those kinds of things to fill out a story and to make it more give it more depth and more um, meaning for, for readers. I think those things also make books more interesting to reread. Like, yes, you know, books that have more of that in them, I'm way more willing to reread or yeah. want to reread because there's new things I can discover and find, and it doesn't just feel like I'm reading the same story over and over again. Because
0: that kind of layered, yeah, yeah, and, and it is like that you are in discovery mode you're like on that adventure of being like okay what does this reading hold yeah. to me like yeah. and not that stories that don't have that are terrible but no, it not is at all. I love a good fast read that's yeah. not complex and that i probably will never pick up again but it's yeah.
1: entertaining and but that's it's just something to think about about like what do you want this book to be and exactly. what exactly are you trying to make it to communicate to the reader yeah
0: and I know we've talked about gracier, um, the, the gracier um, and the ribbons and what those ribbons meant and the different colors and then what over time they mean and what at the end when an action is taken, what it means and yeah. how those things, even from a like front of the book.
1: That book had a lot of flower yeah. symbolism in it too. And like there was Absolutely. actually a, quite a lot of symbolism in that book, kind of moments where things you thought were going on, you know, like where things kind of yeah. came back around or,
0: yeah. I It is one that I want to reread because of that. Even just rewriting like sections of it for yeah. um, our conversation about it. Seeds come yeah. into play and like in moments that you just need like some glimpse of hope. Yeah. And they literally do what seeds are supposed to do and they really like bring new life and yeah for the future and sustenance um which I love when a symbol is both what the symbol is in the book and then it also has like that broader (laughs) symbol of like okay like we can continue forth (laughs) um, like it's almost a a reset on what to expect from the story as well when you kind of have it even function as like a turn yeah where it changes the game yeah i had forgotten how much was in that book yeah well and then the other like the opposite side of that was mexican gothic came into my head with the snake that's fighting its Uh own tail and how that from a very creepy standpoint reflected character it reflected what these characters a specific character had been doing for a very long time generations and <laughs> yeah. generations, basically that they you know, being willing to kind of even cannibalize themselves um for their mm-hmm. own like protection of power. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, one, it was a really good like initial creepy symbol, but it's it also was over time imbued with that additional Maybe. meaning behind it. Yeah and it's interesting to think about why that symbol was even chosen if it was purposeful mm. cuz you're like that's just messed up but the character <laughs> itself that it reflects is that messed, messed up? up yeah <laughs> and that's one of those that I might want to reread again because of the use of different yeah. symbols from a sinister yeah. perspective of you do have symbols that can create life and then you have ones that can create death or that those sinister elements of danger and even like from a disgust like it can trigger that disgust impulse
1: yeah using different sorts of imagery and things can definitely create that feeling in the reader that you want to create in them i think that book also is a good example of like more uh, as well as those larger metaphors that she used she also was really good at the like like you could go line by line in that book and find very interesting uses of, of metaphor and simile on a, like just a sentence yes. structure basis you know like like comparing <laughs> things together or like even how she described things was also often very rich in imagery and in metaphor
0: yeah. absolutely and which is interesting because I think her story was almost so novel, um, you know, yes, gothic history uh, that kind of is taken with it, but it was sure. so different sure. and the setting was so unique that I think using all of that really helped get yeah. all of the cultural context, all of the imagery in something that maybe not everyone coming to this book would have yeah. that automatic kind of definition set for it. I think it was one of those that I think was really well done for a diverse audience. Yes. Um, yeah, it was sure. it was really thoughtfully crafted.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think symbolism is a really powerful tool for that, for when you want to communicate and really put your reader in a place maybe that they might not be familiar with. You can pull on those imageries and things that they might know already to kind of bridge that gap
0: absolutely and yeah. and say hard things that need to be said without saying them like it's done in a narrative in a story yeah. with the symbolism to give you that meaning behind it and that creates i think the power when the meaning lands like yeah it yeah. just resonates it hits you in the gut and you all of a sudden understand and Again, that's the power that symbolism has is, is it does carry that weight. It does allow that context to all of a sudden land and resonate with you and to almost have that epiphany of meaning kind of cascade over you. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any other examples? I do. Um, So like from a movie standpoint, the sled from Citizen Kane, um, that represents that childhood that joy that living of someone who is now on his deathbed and who spent his life basically accumulating power and wealth and that's the thing that at his last moments he's clinging to and i i think even just that the fact that a sledge you know, it has also that innocence and it has, it kind of imbues, even from a memory standpoint, there's many kids who I think can go back to when they were playing in the snow or when they first sledded down a hill. It carries a lot of oomph.
1: Yeah, for sure. You get that innocence, you get that playfulness, that joy, even just images of like clean white snow you know like like all the sort of things that it pulls to
0: mind yeah exactly it has this great and it plays perfectly into it and Mm -hmm. and i think a good symbol does that it it shows something that you couldn't talk about in um in actual words or show any other way yeah which i think also is the ring in the lord of the rings um Uh having that test of the ring as it's being like as people interact with it that shows so much in terms of character and in terms of even in terms of like what the corruptive nature of it is it actually helps set stakes when you have Boromir yeah try to take it like you get because you kind of have gotten some empathy for Boromir as a person Mm -hmm. as a character of what he cares about of of what he's trying to protect and when you see it corrupt him it gives you like those additional stakes of seeing how it functions so that for later on later periods when it gets harder for Frodo to carry you you get what it's actually doing yeah you've already
1: kind of been clued in to that until what might happen yeah
0: and then you have other characters of how they interact with it if they're willing to you know hold it or touch it or not (laughs) exactly you have galadriel and Uh her amazing sequence with it where you really see like what it could do in the hands of someone else and Mm -hmm. and uh, which i think really sets up not just the stakes but it also sets up with the power of the ring and why it must be destroyed it kind of reminds you of what ultimately it would do to all these different people which then allows you to kind of see as it impacts frodo's character himself as he carries it
1: well and you Um, become invested then in like it needs to be destroyed you know absolutely (laughs) this has to happen
0: And, and I don't think there would be another, I mean, there wouldn't be another way of doing that except for symbols. Like, obviously, yeah. something has to be destroyed, something needs to be, um, but if it was just that they were going to fight a battle, um, it, it wouldn't have the same, of, I think. Yeah. And yeah. I think recognizing that that's sometimes what symbolism can do is it, it can make something memorable, it can make it hit home, it can give it the specificity that you need in in a story that to make it different than something else i was thinking about um i wanted to use a jane austen reference but i'm actually going to use um joe wright's version of pride and prejudice because he does shots of mr darcy's hand and it empty like over and over and over again like you just get all these random shots and you're almost like the first time you watch it you're (laughs) like what the heck why do we keep seeing Matthew McFadden's hand like here (laughs) um but he was talking about it and he's like well you know that that's part of the story is it's his hand um (laughs) and I just thought that was interesting how you know it can be something very like metaphorical and it can also be something that is what it is but it also has meaning in addition to what it is sure. i i heard someone acting like it's either an object or it has meaning almost like it was mutually exclusive but it it can be both like it can both be yeah. what it is and then also have that meaning associated with it and then the last one is blood on the hands in Macbeth, which I saw this really great play um, called Sleep No More. (laughs) And there was this part where like, it it was done with no um, dialogue whatsoever. (laughs) And it was almost a like, movement inspired no dialogue, Macbeth. Um, which sounds bizarre, but it's <laughs> yeah. fascinating. I loved every minute of it. You like have to follow actors to different. It's like this warehouse with a bunch of different. That was you saw in New York. Uh-huh. Yes, fascinating. Yeah. I got to see though the like post. You know the post scene where the blood mm. is there. Mm. And I got to see the like washing of the hands mm. and how Lady Macbeth did that. And then the sequences after and how that, from a psychological perspective, like the movement of her hands from that point on was really purposeful. And, you know, the famous Macbeth line out, out, damn spot, who would have Uh known that he has so much blood in him. And she's gone completely, basically like broken in her mind because of the literal blood on her hands. Yeah. And also the figurative blood on her hands. Those type of things, looking at where it has a meaning from that phrase standpoint, but it can also have that exact meaning from yeah. the physical standpoint. Um, I think, you know, that that quote is everywhere. And it's like you hear it randomly. Like, <laughs> there was this weird cartoon that they said, like, there was a line about. <laughs> damn spot and you're like Like, (laughs) it's just funny how it almost becomes like a part of culture for all time because it does have such weight such symbolism imbued into it and I think it's good to recognize the symbols that we continue to pass on over time and they can continue to come up because there's a reason why they do
1: yeah for sure I, I, that would be an interesting study in and of itself to so just look at like what symbols stand the test of time and why and you
0: know like I believe that there are researchers. I'm sure there are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on TED, there's people <laughs> who are like experts <laughs> on brands and symbols. Throughout, yeah. at least from a you know from cave walls to yeah. brands that you know first uh, started coming out with different um, symbols that represented yeah print. products yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and that is kind of even another way to think about it as you're putting symbols into your book like how can i use
0: this to almost brand it as you know like absolutely i mean you think yeah. of ones that use it on the covers i mean the gracie sure. that we talked about the ribbons are in on that cover you have obviously sure. cinder you have this in you know the the slipper mm-hmm. but you also have the cyborg leg yeah and you know, I think from that standpoint, getting people to actually read a story when you have a powerful symbol, Yeah. you know, you think of Lord of the Rings, how many like actually have that huge ring. Like. Yeah. I think that's not a bad way of looking at it as this yeah. is something that will also draw people in or exactly. help market the book. Even. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Which, yeah. I mean, in the end, we okay. want people to actually read our stories, so sure. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. No, it's not.
1: <laughs> we We don't tend to um want to talk about yes. writing in terms of marketing, but it's it's a good, it's good to sometimes look at it a little bit that way. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, we think that your books should have symbolism. Because <laughs> <laughs> we like them. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it's just, we want to invite you to explore yes. how symbols can help you when you're stuck or how they might add, um, give you kind of that shorthand and how they can also add depth and different, more complex meaning to your story, make it kind of stand up on its own or stand the test of time. They're just, they're good things to explore and research and know about and both be aware of when you might be using them in and not intentionally yes. <laughs> and to be more aware of so that you can use them intentionally and to good effect. And to be aware of as you're reading, like, I think it's good as a reader to notice those things and to pick up like, oh, and sometimes we don't notice them right away. Like sometimes that's where a second reading can come in, but, but they can add um, to our reading experience when we do pick up on those symbols and those little subtle um, archetypes or other things that are put in there.
0: Absolutely.
1: So study up (laughs) and, (laughs) and use these tools. These are good things to have in your in your toolbox. Um, we hope you enjoyed this and that it's helpful for you and uh, to think a little bit about symbolism and we hope you will leave a review because that helps other people find us and then, most of all though we hope that you keep writing and keep reading, keep trying things out and seeing if they work <laughs> and uh, keep putting your voice out there for all of us to, to read and experience.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> We're here for it. <laughs> yes. Yay. Yay.